University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. We're in our rebranding series. We've been examining how we see ourselves and others. In reality, the way that we see ourselves matters. Uh, It directly correlates to the way that we see everything and everyone else in the world. And self-perception is one of the most challenging aspects of being human. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what it takes to see ourselves in a different light, see ourselves in the way that God sees us, such as a person who is teachable and connected rather than a person that is fixed and alone. And for today's conversation, we look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 12. And we're zeroing in to the context of our passage. Jesus has just began his public ministry. He's been teaching and performing miracles. He's been calling people to follow him. And then this really unique encounter happens in verse 12. It says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Leprosy is a disease that has produced scales and inflammation and lesions. It's a horribly, horribly debilitating and painful skin condition. A person would not want to bathe because of the open sores and wounds on, on their body were incredibly painful. And over a period of time, this eventually leads to nerve damage. And since people could live for years with this condition, a condition you would eventually lose appendages limbs. Uh, every, eventually, someone's face would begin to become disfigured, and parts would begin to fall off, including the hair. A leper was not a pretty sight. According to the law of Moses, if a person suspects that they have leprosy, they should go to a priest to be inspected. They should be quarantined for seven days. After a week, they're re-examined, and if they're determined to be a leper, they're determined to be ostracized by the rest of the community. As if this condition wasn't horrible enough, imagine being exiled from your home, your job, the frequent places you enjoy going in town. Literally, if a, quote, normal person approached a leper, the leper was required by law to cover their face and scream, unclean, unclean, unclean. It's a source of humiliation. Most lepers would leave their homes so they would not only pass on the disease to their family, but they didn't want to bring shame upon their family. So imagine the emotional toll of dealing with this physically and spiritually, but also emotionally as you are pushed away from your family. The message to you is you're not welcome in your home, you're not welcome in the city, you're not welcome in social gatherings, and you're certainly not welcome in God's temple and in the synagogues. So a leper was quite literally an outcast physically, relationally, socially, emotionally, and spiritually, marred and disfigured. They were not welcome anywhere. Do you remember that story you probably learned as a kid of the ugly duckling? A mother ducks, eggs, hatch five ducklings, and all of them beautiful except one that was different from the rest. The little ugly creature suffered verbal and physical abuse from his siblings and other members of the pond. Eventually, he decides to wander off because he didn't feel welcome where he was. And he's not taken in by anybody, so he's forced to spend a winter alone in a farmer's barn. 
When spring arrives, the flock of swans descends upon the lake, fully grown and mature, no longer wanting to be alone. The ugly duckling flew to the pond, only to find that he was accepted by this ballet of swans. And when he caught his own reflection in the pond, he discovered that he wasn't really an ugly duck, but he was a beautiful swan. This children's story, we, we all learned as an object lesson on inner beauty, fitting in, and rejection. But it pretty much sums up our culture. That is to say, beauty equals success, and ugliness means second place in our culture. In fact, there was a study that was conducted by an economist that found that uh, culturally determined beautiful people are more financially successful. He found that companies uh, put them in places of prominence. They are higher paid than other people. And most of us, regardless of our professed uh, attitudes, prefer uh, as customers to buy products from better-looking salespeople, as jurors listening to a better-looking attorney, as voters led to a better-looking politician, or as students to learn from a better-looking professor. And he found that, quote, beautiful people have had a better way of getting away with things than, quote, ordinary people. Try talking to an officer to get out of a ticket or walking into a restaurant without a reservation getting a table because of what you look like or trying to convince a coworker to help you move things around. So culturally and financially speaking, our society has put a premium on who they have determined to be, quote, beautiful. And what's fascinating is that the same study found that, quote, beautiful people have also a high proclivity to egotism, low self-esteem, distorted self-image, and a skewed social image as most people associate beauty with being aloof or stuck up or snooty or even arrogant. These people are often a target of jealousy and exclusion. They are also discredited for their success because people think that it is chalked up to what they look like. Another study found that successful, beautiful people spend nearly one-third of their income on maintaining their image. The irony of me telling you about this study is that you've sat there and thought to yourself, either you're beautiful or you're ugly. <laughs> well, did you? If, if you think you're a beautiful person, then maybe this conversation isn't for you. If you feel like you're, quote, ugly, then maybe you're not alone. A recent survey found that 61% of men and women think their lives would be better if they were, quote, more attractive. Over 50% said that they believe their appearance defines us significantly or completely. And still 81% said they like they would be happier uh, with the way that they look. So maybe connecting with this leper is not as far out of bounds as we thought. No, we, we might not have some sort of skin-eating disease and we, that makes us feel inadequate, but in all intents and purposes, we might not be satisfied with our abilities our body shape, and what we look like, our hair, and on and on. At the root of our pursuit of beauty is a desire to be loved and admired and valued. And did you know that 10,000 people a month Google the phrase, am I ugly? What kind of effect do you think that this has on our soul? When we don't believe that we have it, whatever the it factor might be, we feel unloved, unaccepted, unadmired, undervalued, and the soul begins to believe that I am ugly. And there's a reason that we 
feel this way. Not because of who we are and what we look like, but because our society has put a premium on determining not only what beauty is, but who possesses it. In fact, nearly 80% of people surveyed said that everyone judges other people's looks. We live in a culture obsessed with beauty, just the words that we associated with beauty versus ugliness. A word study found that beauty is associated with goodness, delightful, attractive, and healthy. The same word study found that ugly is associated with bad, evil, unpleasing, plain, and horrible. One of the most widely told stories that of our culture is of Beauty and the Beast, a, a handsome prince that was turned away uh, by a beggar at his door only to be transformed into a beast because of his rejection of her. You know, and the, the young woman has to learn to love him despite his appearances. Think about your response when you see a, quote, beautiful celebrity or actor, and then you see their spouse. Most of us think to ourselves, really? Can't they do better than that? And our culture is obsessed with beauty. We post appearances on the magazine. The fact that we have a magazine that picks every single year the world's sexiest man tells us everything we need to know about our culture. If we were to look around us in the next five minutes on our phone, we would find something that is constantly telling us to think about what we look like. We are bombarded daily with hundreds of thousands of messages telling us about what we should eat, how we should dress, what, how we should exercise, and what we should look like. And if you can just imagine just how much beauty versus ugliness is reinforced within our culture on every single level, from fashion to entertainment, from school to fitness, from politics to social circles, then you can imagine what it was like for this leper. But look at what happens in verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I think we've pretty well established that this man was a sight for sore eyes. With, with tattered clothes and overwhelming stench from rotting wounds and an inability to bathe, and with a horrific appearance, this man was the furthest thing that you wanted to encounter on the street. Luke tells us that the man was full of leprosy. This wasn't the case of him just having a few spots at the beginning of this process. This man had had this experience for years. But Jesus doesn't treat him in the way that his, his appearance demanded from others. And so it's easy to skip over the details of what happened in this story because it sounds so much like Jesus' other stories. So did you catch it? Jesus didn't speak healing into this man's life. Jesus reached out and touched the man with his hands and made him clean. Jesus could have called it out or commanded the disease out of him like he had done to other sick and demon-possessed people, but instead, Jesus chose to touch the man. In the face of society's greatest fears, touching someone who is sick and unclean and contagious, Jesus jumps all over those fears by touching this man. There is no other reason that Jesus touched this man instead of speaking healing into his life except to show the leper that God loves and values him. Jesus' love goes beyond our understanding of society and religious systems. In this very act, Jesus actually becomes a criminal. Jesus not only broke the religious laws that instructed people to not touch unclean and sinful people, but Jesus broke the social laws by speaking to and touching this man. 
So by the very definition of the law of Moses, Jesus is therefore unclean and a criminal. And in case you didn't hear me correctly, Jesus was both a criminal societally-wise and religiously. But he's not concerned with the limitations that society and religion puts in people's way. Jesus is concerned for this man. He is, he's concerned and is willing to take a risk by touching this man. And Jesus is not only concerned by throwing out the religious banter at this man. No, he simply wants to show this man that he is loved. And, and this is the most important lesson from this text. If you don't hear anything else I, I say this morning, we need to understand that God's compassion is not limited. Society and religion and family place severe limitations on who people are and where they go for this man. They, they were not going to interact with him. They weren't going to touch him. They weren't going to serve him. They weren't going to associate with him. They were not going to welcome his disgusting self in their town. It sounds eerily similar to oftentimes how religion plays its cards these days. You're not like us. There's something about you that we don't understand. We are threatened by you. You can't conform to what we think is best for your life. So see ya. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. But praise God that God is nothing like us. That God chooses differently than what we choose. That God sees people differently than how we see people. That God doesn't play religious and societal games for the sake of alienating other people. The compassion of God is active and desires to welcome all people. God's radical hospitality accepts all. It, it connects on a deep level of our brokenness and how we might feel outcast by the world around us. With God, there is no race or nationality or faith practice or sin or marital status or social faux pas or tally of mistakes or economic status or gender identity or sexual orientation or physical or mental ability or political stance or theological perspective or station in life. Looking beyond this story with the leper, just chapter 5 alone in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus calls the disciples to come and follow him. He, he invites the poor fisherman, the illiterate peasant, the paralyzed man, an agent of the Hebrew people, an enemy of the state, this diseased man. We see the radical nature of God's compassion. And what we need to see from our story and from our lives is that beauty is a social construct of our modern age. In fact, a study was conducted across multiple continents and countries and cultures to determine if there was one set of common traits that defines beauty. In Myanmar, women with long necks is considered to be beautiful. In Kenya, stretched earlobes and shaved heads are considered to be beautiful. In some parts of Africa and South America, lip stretching is considered to be attractive to men. In some Asian cultures, women with the lightest skin color possible are viewed as the most attractive. In some parts of the world where there's drought and famine, someone who is overweight is considered to be a sign of prosperity and beauty. Scarification is popular tradition in some parts of the world, in Western Pacific and South America and some parts of Africa. Beauty cannot be judged objectively for what one person finds beautiful or admirable may not appeal to another. And the range of depictions from this study found that there is nothing to confirm the notion that we know what beauty truly is. 
Beauty has many facets. Research shows that many biological and, and psychological and cultural and social aspects determine what we think beauty is. So, social constructs of beauty are unfair. Not everyone is born with a symmetrical features or a certain jawline or type of hair. In fact, evolutionary psychologists have opened a line of inquiry into um, the other age-old questions about beauty, observing that both men and women alike appear to be concerned with what they view to be attractive. And what's fascinating is that the study was looking at our ancient predecessors of how they determined beauty, and the conclusion is they didn't. The ancient sisters of ours was not concerned with whether that guy in her tribe was 6'2 with a, a great jawline and a good head of hair and that subtle six-pack. She was naturally inclined to look for someone who was a successful hunter-gatherer, which was natural cognitive recognition that he could provide for his offspring. To our ancient brothers who we're not so much concerned with the curvature of a girl, of whether she wore a size 1 or a size 10, or if all the hair on her face was neatly plucked. Now, he was looking for a mate who had a solid build, which was a natural cognitive recognition that she could bear children. See, certain biological features might signal health and fitness and fertility is making of a good mate. And what this tells us is that our concept of beauty is so skewed. And our story teaches us a very powerful lesson about seeing what God sees. Jesus did, uh, did not uh, go to this diseased beggar with skin falling off him that a fly would gag at and would not want to land on as a horrible, alienated person. But instead, what Jesus saw was a beloved child of God. Why would God create us all so differently if there was no beauty in the way that we are all created. Your body type, your, your facial features, your, your hair sing the praises of God that make us all uniquely extraordinary creatures. For Scripture declares that we are made in the image of God. They did not say that some and only others, but all of us are made in the image of God. What would it take for you to Stop judging yourself by other people's standards. What would it take for you to stop judging yourself by maybe the skewed standards within yourself? But I wonder what it would take for you to start beginning to see yourself in the way that God sees you. And based on Luke 5 alone, we see new understanding of beauty. Here is a guy who has quite literally experienced the decaying of his flesh and probably the loss of certain appendages. And yet he is seen as a beloved child of God. 1 Samuel 16, 7 states, For the Lord sees not what man sees. Man looks at an outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God thinks you are beautiful because God created you to look uniquely you. With all of your unique features and the unique character within you. Do you recall, again, that passage from Genesis chapter 1, the opening chapter of the Bible that declares, and God made humankind in God's own image. Do you have faith this morning to see yourself through the eyes of God, and can you believe that you are beautiful? When I remember that I am a loved child of God, 
because of who I am to God. I tend to worry less about my reflection and focus more on my character. The way that you look at yourself matters. If you view yourself through a cultural lens of beauty, lacking what is currently trending as beautiful, you will always feel a void in your life. But when you can embrace who God created you to be, then your life will testify to the greatness of God's wondrously diverse creation. Or as Paul writes to the Corinthians, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When I was in middle school, I was a, a rather husky preteen. We've got a picture up here. I had a horrible view of myself that was reinforced by so many of my peers. I remember I asked one girl to the sixth grade dance, and she literally responded to me, Ew, no, you're too fat for my liking. I tried out for the football team in seventh grade, only to be told by the head coach that I had a great arm for a quarterback, but I was too short and, quote, fat for the position. And what I didn't realize was that these words settled deep into myself, affecting not only how I saw myself, but affecting the way I saw others. In fact, it wasn't until a few years ago that I didn't realize how much this affected me until I couldn't tell you why the sight of certain people that I grew up with, that I was friends on Facebook, disturbed me, why I naturally didn't like these individuals. But what I realized was that these people still couldn't stand, I couldn't stand 25 years later, were the ones that either told me to my face that I wasn't welcome or didn't invite me because I wasn't a part of the popular group because of my body image. You see, when we can come to believe that we are beautiful creatures of a loving God, it not only changes the way that we see ourselves, but also changes the way that we see others. This leper quite literally experienced years of being an outcast because of what he looked like, smelled like, the, the disease that ravished him. Could, he could now go back home to, to the town and to his house and to his family. And all those people who had hid their face for all those years because of his grotesque sight now would come face to face with this beloved child of God who had experienced the healing of God from the inside out. You know those relationships were going to be tense and awkward. But renewed by Jesus' love, this leper was ready to see others in the same way that Jesus saw him. Research has found that when you see yourself as beautiful in a holistic way, it quite literally changes your life. Individuals with a holistic view of beauty treat themselves better, which becomes a natural outpouring of how they treat other people. People with a positive view of their image tend to practice better self-care, becoming less concerned with what others think about them. In this flawed, beautiful system that we live in, they, in turn, stop judging other people based on their appearance and accept people for who they are. So may we come to see ourselves through God's eyes, not as flawed creatures, worthless to society and unloved because we fall short of some current social construct of beauty and sexiness. May we come to see the love that Jesus has for this leper 
is the same love that we see him having for the disciples, for the unwanted, for the marginalized, for the prostitutes, for the tax collectors, and yes, even for the self-righteous religious know-it-alls. It's a love that desires to bring hope, not hatred, light into darkness, grace into brokenness, beauty into dismay, joy into sorrow, and purpose into disconnection. And may God's radiant love that gives our lives transcendent meaning and purpose overflow out of our lives and into the lives of others, especially those that have been deemed by our society as unwanted, unloved, ugly, and discarded. Let's enter into a time of reflection and response.